Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So honored and humbled to introduce our next guest, Mrs. Pauletta Washington. Mrs. Washington is a performer, an actress, and a classically trained musician. Many people probably recognize her name as Denzel Washington's wife. However, I have had the privilege of getting to know her as Olivia's mom. She's a force beyond either of those roles. She's a role model to me personally and to many, an icon, a philanthropist, and truly has raised four of my favorite humans on this earth, which I can't wait to figure out how on earth you did that. All four of her children, JD, Katya, Malcolm, and Olivia, I can truly undoubtedly say and applaud you, are the most humble, down-to-earth, disciplined people. They're so dedicated to their craft, and I for very different reasons, learn from each of them every time I see them, every time I'm with them. And I'm just so lucky to have them in my life. And yeah, welcome to the, what, welcome to what's the point? That was a beautiful introduction, oh, Jasmine. Trying, <laughs> I don't know, but welcome. Yeah, thank you so very much. And you know, basically, uh, when someone asked me to do anything like this or talk, what am I going to say? Even up to the time I was leaving the house, I asked Olivia, what, what am I going to say? <laughs> because Jasmine has been in our lives for a long time and in our house and in our family. I said, okay. She's like one of the children. So I said, okay. Thank you. I Let me come and, and, and say what I know. What I know. Honestly, I can't tell you how many times I'll be like, I wonder what your mom would say about this. <laughs> okay. So now we Because you know I'd say something. I always exactly. tell you something. Wise beyond words. So welcome. Thank you for Thank joining you. us. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So the first question we always ask our guests is what is your definition of fulfillment and what is your definition of success? And are they at all intertwined? Okay, I should preface that by saying that my whole being is faith-based. And I've always been that dedicated to my faith in God. But as I've grown, the maturation process has really brought me even closer to that faith. So success now to me is a completely different thing than success would have been maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Now for me, success is having turned everything over to God. Once I have done that, then I feel and I know that I've done that within me. I feel it within me. There's nothing that I feel that I have manipulated uh, into feeling that. I just know that I know that I know. Then I feel I'm successful. Then the fulfillment part comes from having prepared well, prepared the work, done the work, and exhausted all of what's in me where, to the point where I know that there's nothing else then I'm fulfilled and I feel successful. 
So you mentioned that it's changed this definition oh, yes. in the last 20 years. Yes. Do you find that it also changes like more regularly? Mm -hmm. Because I think the beauty of having a great faith-based practice is that you're constantly evolving, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. your definition tomorrow can be something different because you've learned something else about yourself. Mm -hmm. is that, does that hone in for you? I think that's true, but I do know right now I don't see the definition of my success changing because I feel like I have reached that in this age that I am, that I have seen so much. I've been blessed to have seen so much and to have lived so much and to have, have, have been so many places and met so many people and have been, I think, in my talents used thoroughly, you know, and in every way. Because let me give you an example. When I was doing my one-woman shows, or when I was even doing Broadway or off-Broadway years before I married. This is my single days. And uh, I would play to crowds of many. And I would come off stage having all these accolades and standing ovations for me. And it was fulfilling at that time. I'd go home, close the door, and there was nobody there. It was just me. And then my thoughts and my memories. And it was something empty about it. Mm -hmm. Although that during that moment, I was so full and felt like, yes, you know, somewhat they love me. Right. <laughs> you know, and then from that, I realized, OK, this is just this isn't everything. This isn't it. I thought so. I worked hard, went to school, learned, did trained, did all of these things for this feeling to reach this goal. And here I have it and I go home and I'm, I still feel empty. So from there, I thought, well, what is it? Then I began to, to try to seek. What is it? What am I missing here? What do I need to do? And I did a lot of things. I changed courses and or I would I would take more classes. I would at that time had no no issues with my body weight. <laughs> but but even that I would change diets. I would do something thinking that that is something that I had to do. And I was also reaching externally for okay. something, you know, thinking that it was going to well, feed my internal uh, starved person. And it was only when I realized that it all came from the spiritual base, that that's what I was lacking, that I was putting everything into uh, the materialistic things and not to the spiritual things. Once I recognized that and once I started to make a, a change in that, that has always been my base. So, yes, other things change with the success part, but the fulfillment part, no, it's still the same thing. Was this faith system instilled in you as a child or was it truly something that came from being like, wow, I reached these goals, these external goals, and I feel empty. I need to shift gears. No, it, it started in our home. Yeah. My family practiced it. Right. But it's interesting because my father, he was no, of no particular faith. I remember I was about nine when then he became a Christian. Oh, wow. And I wasn't, I didn't know that for sure. He didn't, I noticed that he didn't go with us to church. We went to church every, every Sunday, went to Sunday school, went to the, the youth group. We did all of those church activities because my mom was very much into it. And she was the, the church pianist until I was about seven. And then I then became the church pianist. So then I was there, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I do remember when my father came to church this one particular Sunday. And then, you know, when they have the altar call in our church, they had the altar call. For all of those who want to be saved, they, they would use save, the word saved. Or if you want to have a better or know and have a better relationship with God through the Christian faith, you come up and you're prayed for and then you, you confess that you do. And I saw my father come up and do that. And it was really quite interesting. And then now I was nine, so I didn't understand a whole lot of it. But then later on that day at dinner, he talked to us about it. And he said, you know, I, and he was a, a, my father was a philosopher and he read so many books. And he said, I studied all of these, these religions. 
He said, and, 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 and then he said, and I studied Christianity too. But he said, it wasn't until I had really felt something inside that this was the only way that it was the right way. And so I'm committing myself to that. So then at that point, he was all in. My mom was already in. So they gave us principles yeah. from, from a very early age. But, you know, you're young. So you, you say, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go to church. I had to go to church because I was playing for the church. I played for all different. I played for the Episcopal Church. I played for the Methodist Church. So I was always in the church. I do always believed in God. I never knew when I didn't. But staying committed <laughs> was another story. You know, you become a teenager and you, you were out there, you know. And at one point I went, I switched to, to chanting because there again, I didn't feel fulfilled, you know. But it was interesting. And, and during the, the times I was chanting, I didn't find, I, I was about, I was in my early 20s. And at one day I'm standing there, you know, the whole thing in, the, in front of the Gahanza. And I'm saying, what, what are you doing? You, you're, you're here in front of this wooden thing when what you know that you know that you've known was inside that filled that void, that filled that space while you're running. And it was that moment that I said, okay, I'm not going to run. I'm going to now seek deeper into that faith that I believed in. And from that time, things started happening. Crazy things like losing stuff or not getting uh, jobs to getting the job that I never thought I'd get that was amazing. So there was all kinds of things mixed up into that. Right. But I held on, you know. I learned also through the chanting, because you do it so many times a day, that I could do my prayer to the God that I served that many times a day. It didn't have to be on Sundays. Right. It didn't have to be at night. It could be all day long. It could be in a taxi cab. Once I adapted that, then I became a, a free person. It was yeah. really interesting. And once all these things were happening, right, like you said, like losing your keys or getting a job that you never thought that you would get, did you see these as like life synchronicities or did you just or like were you in the frustrated? moment? Yeah. Were you like, what's going on? Or you just had this faith about it? No, I don't think I was frustrated. It was like, wait a minute. Because, it, it, you know, they would all come together. It would be sometimes it would be like back to back to back things. And you can't say that just was like nothing. Yeah, you can't make that up. No, you can't make it up. And it was stronger. Each one was stronger. So it was like somebody standing in front of me saying, look, <laughs> you yeah. know, or listen. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm just happy that I allowed it to happen. I think so many people, it happens to everybody on whatever level you're on, but it's up to the individual. To decide, am I going to go here? Oh, no, that's nothing. It is something. And I really tell you, I think in this world today, if nothing else, the pandemic taught us so much about something bigger than we are, mm -hmm. you know, and whatever that is one believes in. I hope one believes in something bigger than themselves. Yeah, it taught us a lot about going inwards. I think during those moments of pause, it was actually nice to go inwards and to get to know yourself. But as you say, like life is happening for you, not mm -hmm. to you. So yeah. you have to reframe, quote unquote, bad things happening to like maybe that they're blessings mm -hmm. and to be on the other side in order for it to like do yourself a favor. So you seem like you have a very strong sense of identity to yourself and mm -hmm. you may be, you know, Denzel's wife and you may be, you know, Olivia's mom and Malcolm's mom and all this and your kids and you have so many different identities, but it also seems that you have purpose and passion of yourselves in addition to all of that. Like, how did you cultivate that? Because I'm a mom of one and I can't even imagine being a mom of four and being in the spotlight and all that, but still making time for yourself and your passions and your pursuits. You know what? I have to say I owe that to my mom because she was a great homemaker, but she was a teacher. And then she became a nutritionist in the school. My father was a school principal. So, you know, having an example 
is always the best way yeah. because you see it daily mm-hmm. and you see there's no wavering. So I never remember myself ever not being a happy person and vibrant and just a daredevil. And <laughs> you know, I'm less of a dare. I'm much less of a daredevil now than I was before I became a mom. Because when you become a mom, as you know, mm-hmm. all of the things come in your your nerve. You don't even want them to crawl, really, because you go, oh no, because there's a bug over there. You don't want to, you know. You can get that sensitive, that precious about it. But I think because I always knew who I was and because my my mom made that happen, you know, she just she would embellish on anything that we would try to do. I was a pianist early, like five years old. Wow. And, and so what she would do is she made sure I got the best teacher and so from there, things grew and she let me grow in that way. But she guided me as well. And I always just had that confidence. I don't know. I think that was an innate thing. So then I was really doing very well in my career when uh, I got married. And then once I became pregnant, it became a thing to where I felt it would be so unfair because at that time, Denzel was his career was just busting out. And I felt, you know, mine was established in my eyes. It was established, you know, and and he was he was just breaking forth. And I felt the baby. I thought, what's going to happen? You know, I'm and and at the time he was out here and I was in New York and I'm thinking, I don't want the baby living, you know, and it was a selfish thing. I wanted my baby to call me mom first. I wanted my baby. <laughs> I wanted to see and hear the first words and do the whole thing. I wanted to do that. So I decided then that I would be home, you know. So in doing that, and at, at the time, we were fortunate that that could happen. But then there were times it was rough where he didn't get a job. And I thought I'd have to go back to work, which I was ready to do. I was just going to strap the baby on my hip and we were going to go. We were going to make it work. That's how I that's how I am. We'll figure it out. So while at home, I would make the home my stage. I would do singing with them. I would do all kind of things. I established this is one thing I did, and you know this, Jasmine, because you've been in our house. I would establish the table was our round table, and it started at breakfast. And you can ask them. They hated coming down that early and sitting at the table. And then I give the I give give morning lectures, not lectures, <laughs> but morning uh, uh, med- meditation. I would teach them verses of the Bible, and they would have to learn them while they're eating breakfast. This is before they went to school. And this was every day, you know. And so uh, I think establishing those kind of things. The rituals. The rituals. And and then also I would go off of them. Sometimes I would just from left field do something crazy and they wouldn't know. But this was my way of staying me, Mm -hmm. but yet keeping them interested and engaged. That's so beautiful. So you're, you like found a new identity in this new role. Yeah, I did. And I also think like what you did made your house like a home because it, like, it was. those are the memories that you remember. Like I'm sure the kids do. Yeah. No, I mean, I can only, I genuinely actually want to know this because Olivia, I've said this to Annabelle many times and Malcolm, especially because I'm the closest to the two of them, but Olivia, the way her mind thinks, <laughs> I am like, is this nature? Is this nurture? Is this God speaking through you? Like, how do you, like, she knows me better than I know myself. Mm -hmm. She'll say things and observe things in a way Mm -hmm. that I'm like, I, my mind would never have even gone there, like in the best way. So it sounds like this could have definitely, I mean, must have been a part of cultivating that sense of faith and that like to have a morning meditation ritual. Mm -hmm. But what I really like is this idea of play, like it's like yeah. all very fun and like yeah. singing and dancing. And it's like, especially because you really are, you have a house full of artists. Yes. Yes. And I want to ask you, how do you cultivate instilling in yourself and in your children? Like to me, it seems like you've done a really great job of letting them each be their own individual. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not like you have to go into the family business. You don't have to do this. You have to do that. They're all each their very, their own people. Mm-hmm. But they all have a very, I, I would say, like, everyone's very disciplined in your family. And I think balancing the two, like, they're almost in competition, right? Like, being yeah. an artist mm-hmm. and being so disciplined, it's like they're not necessarily, 
you don't think of the two together. And I've, I've seen that in each of your children. Like, how do you cultivate that? Even in yourself. Well, one of the things that I know that they'll tell you and you could ask them individually, and I'm 100 percent sure they'll say the same thing. The one thing that I always stressed and demanded, not just stress, I demanded was respect. I made them learn how to spell it and not only spell it, but to demonstrate what that meant. That started the discipline and it starts with respecting yourself. But that took a little more maturation before they understood that. But I had to keep saying it. I had to keep doing it so that they understood that, you know. So then when when it would come and it would then carry over to whatever they were doing, if they were playing sports, then were you a good teammate? Did you do as much as you could on that field or on that court? Did you do that? Or did you turn in this assignment? Did you did you put your 100 percent into this paper? Did you do that? You know, so you start with those little things. That's what happened. And I would enforce it, reinforce it, reinforce it to then where they had to respect each other. Now, each one of them, as you know, have different personalities. John David was a perfect first child because everybody then patterned after him. Then Katya came and was even more so a disciplined person. And she was the astute one. She was the one that was always had to get the A's and she always did this. So the two of them had set great examples for the children. So I felt like, okay, they're, they're kind of <laughs> on the way. So now all I have to do is just kind of guide them, you know, keep them right in here. They, they, they got the core, you know? Yeah. So I think that's why they, they're like that. And then of course, they're not going to outdo. I never forget uh, John David was a student athlete. He graduated in four years. Katya came along and I think she was in her second year. And I said, okay. I said, so Katya, what do you think you're going to, and I never put pressure on any of them about finishing school. They knew they had to finish, but I didn't say you had to finish in four years or five years. I didn't put any restrictions on that. And then I said, so Katya, what do you think you're going to do? Or you think you're going to do four or five years? She looked at me as if I were an alien. She said, of course, four years. I said, oh, okay. She said, John David did it in four. Oh, wow. (laughs) So then, and then, okay, she does hers in four. John David does his in four. And here come the twins. What are they going to do? Yeah. They got to do four. But that was on them, not me. Right. Or their dad, you know. It was almost like you just really got it, had to get the first two right. Got to get them right. (laughs) So that's the second two. Yeah. Following their footsteps. Or you at least set the bar. Yeah. You know. Well, okay. So this is kind of going back to something that we were previously talking about. So you have this established career. You meet Denzel. You have a baby. I genuinely like, I'm curious about this, even in my own relationship, because we're also living in a time now where both men and women mm-hmm. are working. working. Mm-hmm. And I think especially with millennials, we're like, well, we'll get married when we make it. I know. Or when we do this. I know this is something our parents, like my parents are like, what? You just get married and figure it out. Same attitude. So my question is like, it takes a lot of strength and a lot of, or I would say very little ego to be able to channel your artistry and your and into being a mother and just letting your partner shine or like do what he needs to do to shine. Like, how did you navigate that? Because even now, like I'm, you know, hustling to do my stuff and my boyfriend's doing his stuff. And then there's like the stuff that we both need to handle, right? Mm-hmm. Like household things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like, I don't know. It's like the compromise and the give and take of being in a true partnership. Mm-hmm. How did you do that with a baby? And like, that's a lot. It's a lot, on. but it goes back to initially what I'm saying is all from faith-based. It's all mm. that. I think, especially when it comes to being a parent and a mom, because we are the vessels that house all of this that they grow in. For nine months, you are completely a different person. I was a different person from, I, I knew I was pregnant. Every time I knew I was pregnant because something just was different, you know. Once it was established and confirmed, then there are other things that starts happening to your body mm-hmm. and then your psyche, you know. And then for me, I just felt like this baby at the time wasn't even a baby. It was a fetus, I guess, came from somewhere other than me and my husband and the world. When I saw the baby, 
I realized at that time, I said, my goodness, this is an angel that I have here. Did you feel that? Yes. I mean, it's like you look at this baby. It's like the most surreal thing. Oh, yeah. so surreal. I just got chills. I mean, yeah. it's like it, it, it came straight from heaven. Yeah. And then I said, as I watched each day, the growth in this baby, I saw each day how the environment can affect the purity of which it came into the world. So then I decided as much as I could, I was going to try to keep it as pure as it came to me. You know, now we know that's that was like out there because it's impossible. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I couldn't try. And it gave me a focus. It gave me, and this is the thing too, in my studies with my, my, my mentor, Dr. A.R. Bernard, and, and you should listen to him sometimes because he's amazing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. He said to this Sunday, without a vision, you have no future. You see this vision in front of you that was in you growing for nine months. And here it is. So now what is that future going to be? What do I have? How, how responsible? What's my responsibility in this? What was my responsibility when I took my vows with my husband? What are we going to do? Teamwork. I came from a great family. I came from a family that was, as I learned and grew, that was unusual. There was no, I didn't know about a divorced family until I was probably in my late teens because everybody that I grew up with, you know, and it doesn't mean that everything was hunky-dory within the house, but it just means everybody worked it out regardless. And we didn't have to know about it. Now it's unfortunate you can't because of the social media things. But I believe (laughs) that that's why, and it's, it's a selfish thing too, because it was me, every one of these children, it was me. My husband, what, what, whatever his other half was me. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure that the me and all of them was given 100%. That goes back to what I'm saying about the fulfillment, about the success, you know? Yeah. That's so beautiful. And you and Denzel have been married, what, 40 years? 40 years. First of all, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I think we wow. often talk about professional accomplishments, <laughs> but personal accomplishment, that I think that's huge. So <laughs> you mentioned that, you mentioned that like, Part of it was like your upbringing. You never really saw a divorce. You kind of worked it out. But what foundations did you and Denzel have from the beginning that has allowed you to like thrive and flourish together as you grow and not kind of let certain things like setbacks, challenges, media scrutiny. I'm sure mm-hmm. there was a lot oh, like yeah. being in Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. how do you not let that like infiltrate your bubble? You know what word comes to mind when you ask just that? And it just now happened, desire. He came from a broken home. Everybody he knew were divorced. He didn't know anybody whose marriage were, was stayed the same. So here we are from both different ends of the spectrum. But he dug my family. He always loved being there in our home and feeling what a home was like. And he always sought a home because that's why he loves the Boys and Girls Club so much. Because he'll tell you that that was his home. He felt that was his home because it was uh, uh, all of the other little people that, that the children were there, his age and older. The mentors there were his family. 
So he would gravitate there all the time, you know. So he felt that. He felt that need. Then I think when he saw me, we were probably in about a year until the relationship of, of, of dating before he met my family. And he met them. And he told me this after he met my family. He went down to North Carolina, which is where I grew up. And he went on our way home. He said nothing. And I was nervous because my family's like, they're like, open. <laughs> you know, they'll say what they're saying. My grandmother went ahead and, and pulled out all the wedding books. And I'm going, oh my God, no, not, no. I don't even know if I'm that ready for that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But that's how free and, and, and real they were. And so I thought, oh God, he, he's, we're going to break up. I know we're going to break up. As soon as we got back to New York, he said, you know, you have one of the most beautiful families. Mm. And he always loved it. He said, there's so so much love there. So I think that helped him keep his desire to have that, you know, and, and I'm sure that's what it is. And, and, and our praying together, you know, apart and together to get us through the humps because it was not easy. These 40 years, really 45 years total. As uh, my mother would say, we live five years in sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, you know, those five years really gave me calluses. <laughs> and how do you prioritize your time together when you have a lot going on? You have four kids you're raising, his career, your career. Like, how do you prioritize time, like present time together? What we did initially when we could, and it changed because of schedule, is we, uh, we would have a date night. And normally it was Friday night because you had to find a babysitter, you know, and the more children you have, the, 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 the more challenging that becomes <laughs> finding a babysitter, you know. But we, we would make sure that we did that. Then it kind of got more complicated because his shooting schedule was, you see, because I still was stable. So I was the stable one at home. So I already knew that. But we went to an affair in D.C. with, uh, I don't know, do you know who Ossie Davis and Ruby D? Do you know them? Mm-mm incredible artists and activists. Incredible. As a matter of fact, one of Ossie Davis's play is on Broadway now, Pearly Victorious. Okay. They were like iconic for just the Hollywood industry, North Broadway, and especially in the black community. And they were very good friends of ours. And they took us out one night and it was as if, I don't know why, we were, we were socializing, but it turned into a mentoring session. And one of the things they told us is make time for the two of you. They said, if you do that, your children will follow because you're the lead. They said, I don't care where you live. I don't care what you do. You just make, t- make sure that y'all are together. If you're together, they're going to be fine. And then we thought, oh, okay. So then we made sure that every year we would have a vacation together, even if it was a long weekend. So we, we started doing that. Now, as the years go, it gets a little more complicated, but we know that we have to do that. So it's still on the agenda. You know, it's funny because you're not the first person on the podcast who to has told that. us this really? about like your relationship when you have kids. So I always think back to it as this is still very new to me. It's like, how do I, you know, prioritize our relationship too? Because as you said, that's laying the foundations for the kids. And even though it's very hard to leave them and, you know, prioritize that, there is really something to be said for that. But do it though. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I'm do taking it. all the advice. Right yeah, now. do it because I mean, it's hard. I know it's hard because you know, these are my babies. I'm, I'm going to leave them. And I, at first it started out, I would call every, how's everybody, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to be me. <laughs> but one, one of the things that helped me too along the way is every time we would take these long trips, like I would call a long trip, like a week, my parents were there. So then I felt like that. And I think that has helped who they are now too as, as adults because they had their grandparents that which they loved having, you know, when mom and dad were gone. So then they got to know more about us mm-hmm. through them. Through their stories. And they got away with more things too, yeah. you know. So it was it was all it all worked really, really, really well. Yeah. I think it is like such an important thing and it's ha- it's been said a few times, but I do agree that I think like it's like teammate ship, right? You want to know that everyone's on the same team and like you guys are the co-captains of the team. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you don't want to feel that separation. You know, I feel for you, you young people. Because I (laughs) I, I do, I do. And and you too, because you are not yet married. Mm -hmm. 
And it's a whole nother world for you. And I, I say that because all my children, they're not, although the, you all have mates, mm-hmm. you know, it's still, you're still basically single. Yeah. But how can you even know? I'm sure you ask yourselves this. How do I know if this is the right person? Well, I was going to ask you, <laughs> how did you know? You know, you don't. You don't know. But right. that our, our society is, per your point, is more is better. It's like always like more and more. How do you know this is the right one? Because you're so used to society telling you, but there could be more. But like, what if you don't settle and then you meet someone else? Especially I actually now feel like I may have escaped this a little. Like I was 25 when Aaron and I met my husband and I don't think it was as strong in me. So I never like guessed it, but I see my friends now being like, well, I don't know if he's the one. I'm like, the fact that you're even thinking that like is a little worrisome if you're about to like get married. I know, but I understand why. Me too. I totally this understand whole, why. This whole thing. You yeah. look on the on the social media and they tell you what you're supposed to yes. be thinking, how you're supposed to look. Uh, I think that's really terrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. And for the young, younger ones, at least you're at an age where you have experienced life, a little life before all of that. Mm-hmm. Dictation happened, mm-hmm. you know. But I don't know what. How do you tame it? I think the cat is out of the bag, and it's hard to it's hard to get put it back in. That's so true. I completely agree. I know we've like talked about this on Facetime with the girls, and it's like it is just we are living in like a more is more culture. Like yeah. it's just like and and distracted culture. So it's yeah. also hard to even be in tune with. But you don't know what you're in tune with. You don't exactly. even know. A lot of people don't even know what is that inside because they've not been quiet enough. I think you have to be quiet and and there's never any quiet. Well, they don't even know how to get Uh -uh. quiet. And they get nervous. You know, everybody thinks you have to move. I'm moving. I'm doing this. But movement doesn't mean progress. You know what I'm saying? This is exactly what we talk about. Productivity does not equal success. Movement does not. Yeah. It's like you're you're not moving anywhere. You're like moving in place. You're you're running in place. It's like that little hamster. It's so true. I know. Like it's like I catch myself doing this all the time. We all do. I just said this to Olivia on the phone. I said, I overscheduled myself. I said this to you too. I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't even have time to organize my house. Like the little things that make me happy. But what makes you do that? What makes you feel? This is a question I have for you. deep-seated insecurity. I have no idea. I wonder what makes you feel that. Isn't it the fallacy that busy is better? I think it's busy is better. But when did that come about? For me, it came about when I moved to New York. Mine was since I was a kid. The minute I got my license, I was like out the door 7 a.m. on Saturdays running errands. What was I doing at 16? I don't know. But like, I do you ever stop though in the midst of something and go, what What am I doing? doing? Do you? I I do. And I I also wonder, I'm like, everyone seems to have more free time than me. Like, what am I doing? (laughs) Why am I doing? But why does it seem like everybody has more free time? You know why? They take it. Yeah, exactly. I know it's completely my choice and my doing. And no, I think it's like definitely a culture of what we're living in. New York definitely can encourage that energy. Oh my goodness, yeah. Because there's just endless yeah. things to do. So yeah. you're like, okay, you say yes to everything. Yeah. You know, that's and people are, everything is going like this. So 100%. you feel like caught up. Well, exactly. So it's like, okay, if I can't even get through a car ride from here up the street where I live without checking my phone and getting distracted, yeah. right? Yeah. Can you imagine trying to pick a mate? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what no. I mean? Like, I, I, I can't even know. get from this point to four blocks up without being like, well, where was I going? Why did I leave the house again? So like, wait, Miss Washington, <laughs> what advice would you give <laughs> to the oh, generation knows, of Jasmine? I, you know, I, I tell, tell Jasmine all the time, just slow down. I say, I think, <laughs> you know, do you take, do you do cleanses? Oh, not like the one, not like the master cleanse. Doesn't matter. It but doesn't matter. You do I've cleanses. Done. Okay. Then does, does that it, count? I, no. I'm okay. getting ready to tell you the cleanse you should take <laughs> is from the from the, the, the phone. phone. I know. And the computer. Oh. That I've I done. mean, but this goes back to fulfillment. Right. It goes back to the very question you asked me first about success. If you can get yourself and you out there. Put down your phone for, okay, I won't even say a weekend, (laughs) but I would say a weekend because I don't know, but many people work and you need your phones for work Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. If Saturday morning 
you put the phone in the lock wherever it is and then pick it back up to Monday morning, even like late Sunday night. You would go through withdrawals. A hundred percent. Yeah, but you wouldn't you wouldn't if you keep the purpose of why you're doing it. But then how do you see mind. your friends? You can see your friends. You can go you, to someone's house, ring doorbells. You can call them on the telephone. Oh, okay, I can call them. That's what Opal's good. I actually have this blocking app that blocks apps all day. And it has been very helpful because it makes you call people if you actually need to get a hold but of But no them. texting. Yeah, No texting. texting. Is- I'm talking about to you where you hear the human voice. Yeah, it's way better. And doing that type of cleanse, you feel like we can get more in touch with our actual voice to tell us which way Completely. to go. Completely. You, you'd be surprised. I bet it wouldn't even take three weeks. You- I think it would take, I think it would take three weeks. But after that, I bet, I, I'm willing to bet a lot of money, but you have to first, you have to, you, you get out of something what you bring to it. Mm-hmm. So the reason you're doing it is you really want to be centered. You really want to hear your voice and nobody else's. And it's going to be, it's going to take that long because you have so many other voices in there. You have to get to your voice. And in order to get there, you have to let it all go, you know? So I completely agree with you. I want to know on a very tactical level, even from when you kind of would get these accolades before even being married and come home and feel empty and you're like, I went deep. I, you know, cultivated faith within myself. On a tactical level, what does that look like? If we can fast forward to today, like do you sit well, in meditation and prayer? Well, yeah, it's prayer. It's prayer. And, and I, I would always seek my mentors, my, my spiritual mentors pick up the phone and say, you know, what What about this? And, and I would do study. I would do deep studies. I would study not just the Bible, but other comparable texts and resources. In fact, I, w- I, would did, I did a whole study, a whole year where I studied each of the disciples, just their lives, because yeah. they're people. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, for me, when I think about the Bible, when, what we have now, they didn't have. They were living it. Can you imagine? Yeah. Their beliefs, their strong faith, that much strong faith that they were going off of word and not having proof of anything. So then I related to that, to me. I said, yeah, well, you got the proof here. You have a lot of proof here. And what are you doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's what I would do. You, you need help. You can't do it by yourself. Right. And that's the other thing I think is it's a false. Where, what did I write down here? Self-sufficiency is a myth perpetuated by pride and offers temporary success. And that's so this generation. hundred percent. You know, oh, I can do that. I, I can do that. And, and thinking, asking for help is an issue, makes you weak, makes you going to be laughed at. But at the end of the day, if you don't ask for help, you're going to be laughed at at the end of the road anyway, mm-hmm. because you're going to be out there falling out, you know? No, I, com- I completely agree with that. Yeah, I don't think I could be anywhere I am without asking for help. Because yeah. I think what it comes down to, though, is understanding your strengths and understanding your weaknesses. And instead of trying to think that you can do everything, to just focus on your strengths, which is where your magic is. The universe has given me this type of magic. And then for my weaknesses... Ask for help. Yeah, ask for help. But in also, I believe that. And I also believe that the more that you do try to get your strengths even stronger than that, your weaknesses will come up. Yeah. Or you don't need them anymore. <laughs> you, you may find that you don't even need it anymore. Yeah. You so know? are these some of the principles that you really raised your kids with mm-hmm. in order for them to stay grounded? Because from the outside, like, I don't know um, your kids as intimately as as Jazz, but she's mentioned, like, the most amazing things about your kids and how grounded they are. And having just moved to L.A., I can already see, and I'm not in Hollywood, I'm not in entertainment, I can already see how, like, you can get infiltrated by, mm-hmm. like, the scene here. And you were, like, living and breathing it. Like, how did you keep your kids grounded? A repetition. Total repetition. Because, and it started when, you got to start young, you got to start now. You got to, how old is the baby? Five months. Yeah. It's not too, it's not too young. Tell you me. start now, you just start now, you know, with your mantras or with whatever it is, you start now and you keep building on that. They see you do it because you're the best teacher. 
And I learned that too as, a, as watching my babies as an infant. And I'm talking, talking, talking. And I looked one day and I don't know which one of them it was. It was either Katya or John David because I only had two at the time. And that way that baby looked at me because I was doing something. I was doing something while they were sitting in the crib and everything, talking, doing something. And I looked up at that baby and that baby looked at me. It was a beam. And I went, holy crap. You don't know what I'm saying, but you're looking at everything I'm doing. And it, I realized, okay, this is what you got to do. What they're going to do and repeat what they see, you know. And then, and then it goes back to when I was about five and I had done something. I was in the car and my dad was reprimanding me about something and he was going, and he used to call me Paula. So Paula, you can do this and da, da, da. I said, yeah, but daddy, you know, this and this. But you know, I did this, but I was just going on and on. I don't even remember what it was about. And he let me finish. And in his little quiet voice, he says, Paula, your actions are speaking so loud I can't hear a word you're saying. I'm five and I'm going, what's he talking about? And it it puzzled me so much until I don't know how old I was to when I realized what that meant. That's really true today to people, in, in your friends, in your companions, whatever they do, look at that. No matter what they say, because what they say, they can really feel like they mean, but you do what you really have in your heart. You know what I mean? And I went, oh, my God, having that in my mind as given to me as from my father when I was five, then seeing my baby looking at me, can't talk. But I understood, oh, this he's looking at me, what I'm doing. Wow. Yeah, I've been doing, actually, I don't know if you've read the book, um, <laughs> How to Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. No. But her whole thing is the affirmations. So mm-hmm. every morning I bring Gemma to the mirror and I start going, I am beautiful. I am smart. I am capable. I am deserving. I am abundant. And I literally just like list off everything. And I always end with, I am enough. And then I go, Gemma is always enough. Good. And I like stare at her and I make sure so she's staring good. into the mirror too. Good. Because I really hope, as you said, this like repetition in the morning, like, you know, it infiltrates. I'm telling you, it does. It really does. It takes discipline too. Yeah. Coming back to discipline, like discipline yeah. with yourself, discipline with it others. It also like takes putting aside your ego. Yeah. You know, things you want to do or things like you think. It's now like, that takes time. I'm yes. telling you, that ego is something that we, we all work with all the time. I, I had to work with it because I had to learn to be, because I was probably the golden child in my family because I was the one that went ahead and did more things. I mean, all of my parents offered us the same opportunities. My brother was excellent musician. My sister is an excellent musician, but I was the one that went on. So, and they all supported me. So then here I come and I have a husband, but I made the choice, you know, he's talented, he's this, but I made the choice. Okay, I don't want to disrupt I want to have the family. I want to have everybody comfortable. I want my child to feel comfortable. I want him to not be screwed up, not knowing where where he's going or who's going to do what. And, you know, so I made that decision. And I think that I had to deal with, okay, you're used to having the, the audience here. You know, you're used to all of that. Now, you're not going to have that. Now, you're giving that. But I found just as much joy, if not more, in giving it than Mm -hmm. I did in receiving it. So it made it easy for me to deal with an ego like that, you know. Wow. But it's a constant work. It's always work. There are times when I said, well, well, I did that. You know, I want to do, I did that. But then I go, Pauletta, but look, you did this. (laughs) Nobody may never know you did it, but you know you did it. I also know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Jasmine. That's, it's, that's really, it's really, really powerful. It is But powerful. how do you also remove your ego from not only like the dynamics between you and your husband, but also from like 
your kids. It's like, let's say everyone is going to this school, but you know, deep down that this school is probably not best for your kids. And that means you have to like get a little hit to your ego of like the parents that you want to associate with. Cause you know, like it's better for your kids to go there. So you have to, again, remove your ego from that decision. Well, see, I never thought about the parents about, but the parent, I never thought about that. All I thought about was if my kids, if this is not good for them, they ain't going to be there. Cause you talk about ego failure. That'd be horrible to see them struggling in something that you know you could have helped prevent. So I wouldn't ever, ever set them up that way. But I told them, and I still believe this, you can do anything that you set your mind to, but you have to decide that you're going to go all the way with it. And you cannot depend on nobody else doing it, but you got to do it. So whenever the, 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 the came, came around to school choices, I let them see the pool of schools. But if there was a school that they, they had within their pool, I felt that wasn't, wasn't good. I would say, you know, I, let's look at this. I wouldn't discourage them, but I would try to sway them away from it. Mm-hmm. And that was with colleges too, you know, and especially in middle school, because middle school is rough. That's, I, I think that's a, I don't know if it's still that way now, but when you guys were in middle school, Choosing the prestigious schools and all of that, you know, and it may not be for everybody, but it doesn't mean that they're a failure because they didn't go there. But they would be a failure if they did go there and didn't succeed. Yeah. How did you teach them about failures and what does that word represent? You know, I think what helped with that was my husband, too, as well with sports. I think sports helped them a lot because you don't win every game. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have a good game every game. I think they learned failure that way. Kati was so academic. She had a a test they gave her of 60 math questions, and they had a certain time to do it. And um, she came home, and she was distraught. I didn't understand what was wrong, and she, she was so upset. And John David was there, I never forget. And she, I said, well, what happened? She said, we had 60 questions to do in whatever short period of time. And she said, and I only got 59. John David busted us. He said, 59? He said, I'd have been happy if I'd have gotten one. <laughs> so that kind of broken it, but it didn't, for her, she was distraught, you know? Yeah. So for her, that was a failure. Then we have to then, t- I then have to talk about, well, you got 59. So what was the, what is it? She said, I could, I knew the answer, but I couldn't get it. I said, well, as long as you know the answer. And I had to let her know and try to equate it to some kind of life experience. I don't know what I did at that time, but that's what I usually try to do. You know, I, I know for one of them, I went to the uh, Special Olympics tapes and would show all of these wonderful athletes that were paraplegics or, you know, or quadriplegics rather. And then or one that had one arm or one leg and how they were, their, their energy was just as hard or more than people that had all the limbs. I said, okay, what would you rather have? You know, and then they could, and they're young, so they don't know, but they do know, but from, it's a visual thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's an interesting way to teach that. So our podcast, as I've mentioned to you is like, which so much of this conversation has been, but like kind of pulling back the curtain on all of these assumptions, right? Like what we just discussed, our generation is just made of assumptions because of the internet. So we just look at each other's lives and we're like, that person has it all. That person's been married 40 years. They have had no issues. That person's successful. That person's famous. That person's whatever you're comparing yourself against. For someone who doesn't know you as well as I do, or just knowing that everyone's human, that looks at your life and is like, wow, they must just have it all. Like everything is just probably smooth sailing. What would you say? You're full of it. (laughs) That's a good answer. You know, to go, I go biblical again, too much that's given, much is is expected. So it's it's a lot of things we have to do. My husband and I can no longer have those impromptu walks anywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, or... Even go to a simple movie yeah. or even go and have a, a simple dinner somewhere because everybody comes up and they think that he belongs to them. 
you know, with, and, and a lot of people have no respect for time or space. So we miss out on a lot of that to where sometimes it can drive him inside, you know, that he, he doesn't even, I said, well, let's go here. And then we have to think, well, how do we get there? And when we get there, do we go to this room? What, you know, instead of just being just out with the people, you know? Yeah. So, so we've got that. We've got the scrutiny of everybody thinking we are something that we're not. You know, they, they put these labels, you know, and I've had to, to deal with such, especially in his younger days, <laughs> we had to deal, I had to deal with the disrespect of, of our relationship from other women, you know, and men, really, you know, thinking that I needed to have something extra, you know, so that, that's hard. You know, and then what it has done to our children, that's the hardest to me, is the, the, the burden that they have had to have, carry, because of a position that their, that their father has, you know? Mm-hmm. So, because for me, I, I mean, I can, I can take it. But for them who are innocent and, you know, have nothing to do with it, that is, that's a hard row. Yeah, it's very difficult. And I think people, well, thank you for sharing that. And I think people don't, especially for, you know, as much in the public eye as you guys have been, but like, that's, you know, our world now. It's Mm -hmm. just people, there's like not only this age of assumptions, but expectation with those assumptions. Expectations, yeah. And it's pretty crazy that like, I'm sure I've been guilty of it too sometimes without even knowing. I think we you know? all are. Oh, I yeah. think it's like just inherent in us now. Yeah. And it's, I think, important to be like, actually, no, we're all. We're all human. We're all but human. it's so interesting. But when you see somebody on a, on a movie screen, that's bigger than life. Yeah. It's, you it's know, huge. and whatever character that you like this person in or the many characters that you like this person in, they become those characters. But has anybody ever stopped to, to realize, well, who is he? Or her, what, what, what are they about? You mm-hmm. know, a lot of times I, I met and when I was younger and met some of my childhood idols and I got to meet them and talk to them. I was so disappointed, you know, but then being in the position that, that we're in, I understand why maybe. I think somebody's saying it's time, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's time to eat, mom. I know. <laughs> um, okay. Well. This has honestly been so enlightening. I think I'm going to have to keep messaging you as I continue to parent my daughter to just make sure I'm like doing things. I'm sure you're doing fine because you know what? The greatest greatest one, the greatest lesson is love. All you got to do is love them. And repetition. And repetition, I think, of that love. Exactly. Yeah. Love, love, and, love and repetition. That's love, it. Love, love, that's love, really that's, it. That's, that's and the whole honest. other thing I kept chanting to myself is just be honest. Be honest. Be honest. So they saw my, they saw me. <laughs> you know, I cried. And, yeah, showing up authentically just, you so yes. that they know they can be authentically yes. themselves. It's oh. okay. Let me just say you've done a fantastic job. Truly. Well, I, like, I thank you. I value your family so much. So I'm and I happy. can't wait to meet them. So we end every podcast with one last question. What's the point? What's the point? The point <laughs> is life. That's life. I love life. I love loving life. And my life is love. Mm, that's so beautiful. It's the truth. <laughs> thank you so much. For thank you, girls. Uh, thank you. I should say ladies, not girls. I hope you had as much fun as we I did. I had fun. Yes. This is important. That it's something that I heard. The older I got, the more I got deep with it. When change is necessary, not to change becomes destructive. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 